Hello everyone, you're listening to Audiobookish, an audiobook review and discussion podcast. My name is Fahed Rahman and I'm joined by Poppy Knight. Hello. And our guest today is none other than Pippin Era Major. Pippin was born in North Wales and grew up surrounded by sheep and other small mammals. The shorted of decent human company he started writing stories now as an adult pippin writes mostly literary fiction occasionally dabbling into fantastical and the weird pippin is currently looking for representations for two literary novels and they are also one of the driving forces and creatives behind hanging sloth studios which produced the podcast which was one of the subjects of our previous episodes uh spirit box radio how are you doing pippin i'm good thank you yeah that's great. So um, we kind of sort of introduced ourselves before when we were on the podcasting course together. So it's just like nice to speak to you kind of yeah. outside of that. Yeah, it's nice to like have an actual real life communication as opposed to just hearing <laughs> you in podcasts. It's very fun. Yeah. Okay, that's great. So we were on the kind of the podcasting course together. How did you find the course? Did you find it useful or... Yeah, it was pretty interesting. It was mostly geared towards um, not audio dramas. And I only really make mm. audio dramas. But there was loads of useful stuff in there about, like, you know, how to reach audiences and stuff. And networking opportunities was really cool. But, yeah, uh, not very audio drama focused. Mm. But that was okay. And I had an interesting conversation with the people running it about making audio dramas specifically. And that was just really interesting and felt like a productive conversation in itself. So... Yeah, it was worth just speaking to other industry people, you know? Yeah, that's good. So the, that course was run by uh, Mags Creative. So yeah, give those guys um, a look out as well. So they're doing kind of a, a good work in kind of a podcasting and audio production community. Poppy, are there any kind of initial questions you want to ask Pippin? Should we kind of like head straight into it? Well, sort of just on the back of that, just a comment, I guess, about like you say, maybe a lot of people not involved in the industry sort of think that all kind of audio recording is the same, <laughs> you know, whether that be the actual recording studio and what's involved there, whether that's kind of the producers and what they know and what they do and the voice talent and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's important to note that a podcast and an audio drama podcast and a discussion podcast versus, you know, it's all really different. Um, and then compared to audiobooks, compared to voiceover for other things like adverts and games and stuff like that, there's definitely a load of overlap that's important across them, but also just so much variety, like so much. And I think for people who are interested in it, maybe getting involved like career-wise or hobby-wise or just listening, it's kind of cool that there's so much variety in there. And that even if you end up, like you say, on a course that isn't so much geared to your thing, that there's so much you can then pick up for the other stuff. Oh, yeah. One of the fabulous things about it was hearing about the different kind of audio setups required for podcasts that are completely structurally mm. different to the kind of stuff that I make. Yeah, yeah. The way that all of our audio dramas at Hangsaw Studios are recorded are the actors perform their lines alone. So we rehearse mm -hmm. together over Discord and then everybody records their lines by themselves and sends them to me and I edit everything. Uh, so it's really interesting hearing how people approach stuff like about how Zencaster works in terms of like interviews mm. and how that actually presents opportunities to do live kind of theater style recordings for audio drama as well, uh, which mm. is it, which is a possibility that opens up in the future. It's not something that we've been able to manage to nail down yet. We've got a few yeah. um, people in different time zones, so it makes it a little bit challenging. Yes. Yeah, that's very fair. 
But that's an approach that I wouldn't have come across if I hadn't spent time talking to people who make like interview mm. type podcasts and other types of podcasts aside from audio drama. It's not necessarily something that would have come across in the channels that I move in most of the time because I mostly mm. talk to other audio drama people. So Yeah, no, that's really good. That's really interesting. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I remember when we were looking at, so one of my favourite audiobooks, and I've sort of converted for head to it a bit, I think, um, is the His Dark Materials ones, the full cast. And I found it really interesting learning about how kind of they sort of ran that a bit more like TV, you know, the kind of everyone doing their parts sort of more together. Really different to, as you say, yourself doing it, maybe rehearsing together, but recording separately. Certainly what I'm aware of, other kind of multi-voice recordings separate and even like film voiceover where it certainly appears from the outside that kind of people in the booth on their own and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. that uh, His Dark Materials, the setup for that is really interesting. The the way that a full cast audiobook recording works mm. as opposed to how an audio drama works yeah the differences in approach are are really interesting and the kinds of things that you expect from those recordings are also really interesting in where they're different and how those things are distinct yeah 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 definitely yeah it is okay so let's uh let's get into kind of your favorite audio books so start off what is kind of like the first pick on your list I think my favorite audio books are the john ronson psychopath test and so you've been publicly shamed audiobooks which he does himself he reads them himself and i just i adore them <laughs> there's something about his style that really comes across in his writing so when you read the books i can kind of hear his voice so when you hear him like mm. perform them as an audiobook it's uh I don't know. It's just it's like this extra layer, and then you can really clearly hear him when you come back to the text itself later on. It's it's a really mm. great experience. Add so many layers. So, so tell us about the psychopath test because that's a book I've heard about. But um, yeah. So just kind of how did you come across the book? Did you come across the like, book book first, or did you come across the audio book first? How did that kind of enter your life? I came across the book first and it has this fabulous cover, which is um, at least the edition that my dad owned. So there was a copy of The Psychopath Test sat on my dad's shelf and it has this bright orange cover with this blocky white text on the front and a picture of like a stylized head with kaleidoscope eyes on it. It's The Psychopath Test. And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds really cool. And um, (laughs) I I think I, I was... I was not super young, but pretty young when I first read it. And I just thought it sounded really cool. Basically, it was on my dad's shelf. A lot of my favorite books I came across this way. They just like sat there on my Mm. dad's shelf. He's quite a big reader with a nice large collection of books. So uh, that's how I came across that one. And um, the book is uh, a piece of journalism, first and foremost. And it's taking you through the historical context and the modern context of the idea of psychopaths and it's all centered around Mm. this thing called the psychopath test which is a sort of set of guidelines that you can be trained to perceive which aims to teach you how to spot psychopaths and in inverted commas in the wild Uh, but it (laughs) it's mostly about like how the test itself is really flawed and the things it's asking you Mm. to do and the ways it asks you to reduce people is really awful and kind of you know he, he talks about later in the book about how the implications of the psychopath test are kind of psychopathic in what they ask people to do to other people and it's this really interesting story of like how different threads of medical literature 
and cultural associations with words come together to mm. affect real people's lives. And yeah, it's just it's a fabulous piece of journalism. And um, as performed in the audio book, it's just it's 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 fabulous. Like the way that the whole thing is put together is wonderful. It's kind of supplemented with music in places. It just makes it like super lively. John's got a very he's got quite a unique voice kind of like when John speaks when I've heard him kind of like in, on the interviews and podcasts yeah. he's got a very unique way of like speaking he's kind of like very I, I wouldn't say he's like softly spoken yeah. but there's kind of like an undertone of like humor whenever he when at least when I've whenever I've heard him on podcasts or the tv does that come across in the in the book as well really strongly yeah and there's some moments actually that felt like not entirely recontextualized because I think his voice is really strong in his writing as well. But uh, there are moments that become 10 times funnier as he delivers them. Because as you say, there's this kind of like almost an anxiety inherent in his phrasing, the way he structures a sentence, which really brings these like moments of humor to these really tense moments. Like goes and interviews some high-powered businessman who he's hoping to spot as a psychopath when he's there <sighs> and his disappointment that he doesn't appear to be a psychopath is it's really funny in the text itself but I was like mm-hmm. properly laughing out loud when I listened to the audiobook it's just so fabulously delivered it's such a funny section by itself but the delivery adds like tenfold in that humor it's wonderful yeah that's a really important thing isn't it how often audio I think I mean we've spoken about it many times before on this podcast how it can really elevate an already really good text or really good moment and just make it even better and I also like how that pulled back something else I was wanting to mention from what you said about that like unique style of an author and how then when they read it in their voice you then get their voice in the text because I definitely agree with you there and not actually the audiobook but I am was fortunate enough that I got to go see Stephen Fry perform Mythos when he came to Newcastle and uh, me and my mum went and it it was really good and I'd recently read the book in print and he basically reads it as it was you know Mm -hmm. I could kind of see it like kind of the opposite way around as I was watching with him I could see the text because I knew that his sentences that he was delivering to a theatre were mm-hmm. just as he'd written them for print because yeah. that's that's just how, how he speaks and it was wonderful and then yeah when I go back reading it more I hear him saying it as he did in the theatre even you know ages later and so that's a really cool thing and then like the flip side again I've said this before but I found it kind of odd I do sometimes with like stand-ups who I'm used to speaking in the way that they speak when they do stand-up shows so the example I've spoken about before is Trevor Noah who I love to pieces but then him reading his audiobook I didn't get along with as well because he has written in a book style you know which is totally fair enough he's written sentences for a book and yet it just jarred with me because I'm so used to him talking to me like a presenter or a stand-up. So yeah, it's really interesting that, yeah, when an author really writes in their voice, then having them do the audio is just perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of out of interest, did you go back and re- reread the book after you listened to the audio? It was kind of like at all. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. But I, these are books I return to frequently. I really like the psychopath tests and the other one I mentioned as well. So you've been publicly shamed a lot. So I returned to them quite frequently. And the first time I reread it after I'd listened to the audiobook, I could definitely hear the audiobook when I came back to reading it again. 
Okay, that's great. And then the the other audio book that you mentioned was so you've been publicly shamed now. Yeah. If I remember correctly, isn't that a podcast as well on BBC or am I yeah. misremembering? No, I think things? I yeah. think I think it is, yeah. I can't I don't know which way around it all went actually. I don't know what the chronology is, but I read the book first and then I listened to the audiobook version of it and I've not listened to it as its podcast version, but I don't know if that's just the same as the audiobook I've listened to. So yeah, but that's like, it's just, it's the same kind of thing of those those extra layers of the humour coming through. And it's like, yeah, totally fabulous. So yeah, would recommend. Yeah, so t- tell us a bit about, so you've been publicly shamed. What's the, what's the setup for that? So you've been publicly shamed is about Twitter shaming and Twitter mobs and the psychological impact of the way that we kind of pull people up and hold them to account mm. online and how all of that works. And uh, whether or not it's like a useful thing to be doing, where it comes from, where the impulse comes from and why it's so tempting to do it, even though we may think that, you know, we're above it and it's not something that we want to engage in. Why is it an impulse that we indulge in? Uh, And it particularly focuses on the impact that it has on the lives of people who have been publicly shamed online and social media, which is really yeah it's it's really it's really interesting and it's a jumping off point for a later piece i believe which is called the butterfly effect i think which is an audible exclusive podcast which is about specifically a sex worker who was publicly shamed and then took her life which is you know heavy stuff but it's really interesting it's not like it's so you've been publicly shamed is funny it's not as funny as the psychopath test because the subject matter is a little bit more um, which w- you wouldn't think initially going in. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to navigate than um, the psychopath test is. But once you get into the thick of it, you know, it's really it's really interesting. It has those moments of humour and so does the butterfly effect. But again, that's just like another step heavier. Like they just get progressively darker if you follow that path from the psychopath test to so you've been publicly shamed and then into the butterfly effect. That's yeah. the uh, two interesting choices there kind of from the same author mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yes yeah, so well have you got any other books that you'd like to talk about uh, i i very briefly uh, the inverse of my experience of the psychopath test and so even publicly shamed is the other audiobook that i've listened to more than once which is the audiobook version of uh, infinite jest by david foster wallace a book i could not read <laughs> on its own but the audiobook was you know I could get through it. I'm not sure I paid attention to all of it because there's like, there's an absurd amount of it to listen to, and I just tossed my phone to the side, so I can't tell you the exact length of it. But the the book mm. is a is is a beast of a book, and it has these little sections in it that kind of fold back on itself, and it's quite structurally complicated. Um, mm. And the version of the audiobook that I have listened to is just yeah, it's really good at you know, navigating those things and making it much more accessible as a read, basically, because I've, I've got a physical copy of the book and I didn't get past the first three chapters. And I only did that because me and my friend were um, alternately reading. So I would read a chapter of Infinite Chest to her and then she would read mm. a chapter of Ulysses by James Joyce to me. We <laughs> gave up. We gave up quite quickly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I've, that, that's a book I've heard mm. of that is kind of like notorious for being quite difficult to kind of like penetrate mm, yeah um get, have you have you come across it poppy i have a feeling that someone brought it in as an example for a module that we were doing at uni 
what you're saying is ringing a bell and makes me think it was that book. But yeah, and it's really interesting that, uh, like you say, just changing that format, making it the audiobook one rather than the physical and any you know amendments that they made in that just means that you can access something that you otherwise just wouldn't. And I think that's really good. And that's one of the things that we obviously, you know, don't like people putting down audio as any sort of lesser format. And I guess some people take the argument of it being easier, lots of air quotes in there and stuff like that. And even in cases where it is, why does that matter? <laughs> that's yeah. a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, I think I think it's yeah. something that's. It, it, I find it really frustrating personally mm-hmm. because I think that if you've listened to an audiobook, you've read the book, and it yeah, irritates definitely. me that mm-hmm. the implication from some people is that that's not the case. You know, because there's yeah. people who like have limited vision or are completely mm-hmm. blind who can't read books, and I think yeah. that if they choose to listen to an audiobook as opposed to reading in Braille, I think they've still read the book, and I think but definitely that counts, that yeah, counts yeah, yeah. if you can if you if you have no vision impairments that still counts it still counts as as reading even if you're listening to it you're reading a book and it frustrates me that those levels Mm -hmm. you know I think that's all about like gatekeeping and elitism Mm. in terms of like definitely what counts as um engaging with something and I think yeah that's just frustrating and extremely limiting for a huge number of people in a huge number of ways oh definitely could not agree more could not agree more and like when people talk about even people being extremely elitist, you know, and talk about the books that they've read and blah, blah, blah. They never talk about the letters on the page <laughs> or rarely ever. They talk about the characters. They talk about the language choices. They talk about the plot structure, you know, all of that. It's engagement with genre, blah, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about physically the the graph marks on the page, except in rare occasions where it's, you know, they've done something interesting with the vision. So, yeah, yeah everything that people think is good about reading books is good about reading books and that includes listening to audiobooks and everything like that so yeah definitely agree big agree <laughs> which i think kind of well i, I do I, I think i should probably mention at this point one of my friends connor charlton he did i'm not too sure if he's still doing this p- podcast at the moment but because he mentioned ulysses uh he had a creative project where he would do the world's worst reading of ulysses <laughs> and it would him be literally reading a couple of sentences from the book and then going into like a 10 minute um kind of like sideways conversation about oh, i don't understand why he's written it this yeah. way it's really complicated <laughs> i don't understand it and then to kind of talking about things in his like personal life which i found was um quite good so i believe that's the world's worst reading of ulysses uh, that's that's incredible <laughs> that sounds amazing because i've not i've yeah, not but- listened to this but that is actually a fantastic way to read Ulysses because that's what the experience of reading Ulysses is like, and like structurally, Ulysses is like that. It's like I, that, that's very good. I'm very charmed yeah. by this concept. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm not too sure if he's still doing it. Um, he tends to. He's a bit like me. Pick up a creative project, do it for a couple yeah. of weeks, and then the, the steam runs yeah. out. But um, yeah, let's uh, let's check that one out. So I think that kind of nicely brings us to the stuff that you're creating and working on at the moment so kind of hanging stuff studios you want to talk a little bit about that yeah so I had I've I've listened to podcasts for many years but I hadn't listened to many audio dramas I'd listened to Mm -hmm. Welcome to Night Vale on and off since around the time that it started airing but never consistently Um, and it was only just shortly before the the coronavirus (laughs) 
<laughs> outbreak. Mm. Uh, I moved in with some new housemates and one of them is really into audio dramas. And she recommended me uh, a bunch of them and I listened to them. And on, on that list of stuff that she'd recommended to me was Limetown and The White Vault and Vast Horizons and The Magnus Archives. And I powered through them all and it got to May. And I have dates stamped for this because uh, I, I changed my name uh, several years ago and I celebrate the day every year it's my name day mm-hmm. it's on May the 4th be with you and nice. um be yeah with you, exactly yeah <laughs> uh, and um we were watching the Lord of the Rings and I just I wrote the first episode of what would become Clockwork Bird which had mm. I had written as a novel it was the first novel I'd ever written I was 18 when I wrote it the novel is terrible it'll never see the light of day um (laughs) but um I set about adapting it into an audio drama having listened to all of this stuff and just being like oh my oh my god I really want to do this and I spent that Mm -hmm. day when we were watching Lord of the Rings not watching Lord of the Rings and in fact writing (laughs) the first episode of Quack Quack Bird and I said to uh, Jesse and Alex if I write five episodes of this I'm gonna make it Mm -hmm. would you be in it and they were both like, yeah, like they've got no acting experience whatsoever. But like, yeah. yeah. And then I asked mm-hmm. my my dad, Gary, and my sibling, Daisy, to also be in the show. And they were like, yeah, which is great because they both have pretty good acting experience. My dad hasn't acted for a while, mm-hmm. but uh, Daisy is a professional actor. And I was like, yeah, this is this will be good. <laughs> so I got them on mm-hmm. board and just started making it. And by sort of... The 26th of June, I think it was, the first episode of Clockwork Bird came out. And yeah, I just like properly caught the bug. It was a fantastic experience. Made a lot of mistakes with Clockwork Mm. Bird. But the kind of mistakes that I think I could have only learned by doing them. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But so I like recorded everything in teams. So it was two people recording into one mic at once. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was a... uh, So it was a, a bit of a challenge. But... You know, mm-hmm. I learned a lot and it was a journey. And by August, I knew that I wanted to make something else. And mm-hmm. um, the something else that I was going to make was Spirit Box Radio. Because I'd had this idea kind of knocking about in the back of my head for a while, which was actually born out of a rant about mm-hmm. a different show. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I think that if I was going to tackle these issues, I would tackle them this way. And this is what I would do. And I would make it like this. And um, then... I decided in August 2020 that I was going to make Spirit Box Radio. And the aim was to have it be, so it would be mostly me for the first sort of 20 or so episodes whilst Clockwork Bird was still airing. And then gradually introduce a larger and larger cast as the show goes on, which is what's been happening. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was it was good. One of the biggest challenges with, with Spirit Box Radio, though, was that I have very limited acting experience and... I wasn't very good at it in the beginning, so it took a couple of good runs at those first few episodes to get them to something that I felt like could go out. But we got there in the end, and that's how yeah, they you came do a to fab be. Job. Thank you, thank you. Oh, I'm that's my best. really cool. Oh no, it's honestly brilliant, and it is weird because I'm having to remember that you're not Sam. Um, no, I'm not Sam. <laughs> I'm not. Talking together. <laughs> um, am I allowed to ask what what it was that show that you it was a rant response to? Uh, yeah, you can ask, but I'm not going to say too much about the specific contents of the rant because, yeah, um, yeah. so the, the show was Supernatural, a show of which I've mm-hmm. seen eight episodes. Um, right. I, yeah. Or tread carefully, they've got like quite a uh, rabid fan base. They, well, that's a funny you should mention that because back in the day, I had been really heavily involved in their fan base. I've written mm. a lot of 
fanfic related to that show, uh, mm-hmm. which we won't get into. Um, but uh, I, I had never really watched the show. Um, mm-hmm. And I just engaged with the fandom and I loved it. And I had a really you know, good time being a part of that community. I eventually ducked out because it got to a stage where I had become so like embedded in the community around the show that people assumed yeah. that I'd seen more of it than I had. And it became really, really stressful to be like, mm. I felt like I was, I was masquerading. I have a fraud. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I stopped really spending time there. But um, yeah, that was, that was one of my first proper experiences with with fandom and the concept of fandom was in Mm. the supernatural fandom and i had a great time there to be honest but when as the show kind of rolled on there were a lot of things that i think a lot of people saw that were wrong and i found myself really engaging with that and it spirit box radio is not a response to supernatural um (laughs) but um like the the core ideas that existed many years before the show yeah those came out of that rant that initial rant and I took a lot of notes whilst I was going on about it and Mm. then it just kind of grew into its own thing and it got all of these layers but it's it's funny where ideas come from Um, and I really really specifically remember that being the like the the the, where the siege germinates (laughs) it was that Mm. one rant that I had yeah and that's really cool that you can pin it back to that and also, we actually spoke in our review of Spirit Box Radio, uh, which you haven't heard yet because it's not out yet, uh, but maybe the listeners will have, about fandom and stuff like that and about how it's really good how you can choose to engage, you know, more or less with that community around it and stuff like that and, and said ourselves how frustrating it is when there's certain people who think to be a fan of something you have to know everything <laughs> and yeah. that's really not the case and that it's it's so much better when you can just enjoy stuff for the fact of enjoying it talk mm-hmm. to people about it but then be accepting of you maybe getting it wrong you maybe not knowing something um stuff like that it is yeah I, I, I wish there was more of just you're allowed to be a fan of something <laughs> without yeah. th- the pressure I guess of yeah that needing to know or remember everything you know I yeah. find sometimes like I know stuff but I forget it and then yeah I love a casual yeah. fan I think it's, it's it's a fine way to engage with something you know I but mm-hmm. I, I mean I, I just love fandom in, in all of its forms those people that yeah. just kind of dip in and out occasionally that's really cool mm-hmm. and they're like oh something's happening can anybody remember what happened then that's really cool yeah. to see I love that mm. um, and and also I, I do love all of the people who are who are like really focused down on the minutiae of stuff and they're like yeah. yes <laughs> but at two minutes 47 in episode <laughs> 17 this was said and I'm like how do you remember this? That's incredible. It's just so long as everybody's making sure that everybody else feels happy and welcome. Yes. Um, I think it's that that's the most important thing. It's like uh, one one thing I've really focused on with with the fandom around Spirit Box Radio is to try to cultivate a a, a positive space where people mm-hmm. feel comfortable to come and go. And you have those movements through. And like and there's a like a natural ebb and flow of of who is mm. who is there and who's present. And you have like a core tenet of people who are just very 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 into it and that's like they're amazing they provide this huge like backbone of the community that's got all of these other moving parts that dip in and out and it's really cool provided everybody's supportive and nobody's gatekeeping newer fans or fans that aren't really interested in engaging in those really deep kind of ways Mm. that's really good and it's nice to hear you yeah describe it in that way yeah, that's cool. And just on while we were talking about shows that were similar and stuff, and obviously there's also the comic to this as well, um, but something I'd meant to bring up as a comparison when we were reviewing it last time was sort of the kind of shared themes and, and features 
that I picked up on with Spirit Box Radio and like Umbrella Academy. Um, is that something that you like? I love Umbrella Academy. Good. I'm um, glad. Last summer, I I was on Twitter and I was just desperately looking for something to watch. And I put, oh, God, does anybody have any TV shows mm-hmm. I've been watching that are any good? And, I, and then someone suggested to me, have you seen Umbrella Academy? I think you'd really like Klaus and Vanya. And I was like, I have seen Umbrella mm-hmm. Academy. I yeah. do really like Klaus and Vanya. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, just like yeah. that was a fan that said that I think, and um, I, I yeah, I, I just yeah, I, I do love Umbrella Academy, um, and I'm really flattered at that comparison. Thanks. <laughs> Good. Well, no, and I think it really is because I think there are some really strong kind of yeah, like I say, shared themes and stuff. You've got siblings that have sort of powers slash abilities kind of thing, connection to something magical, and a lot of the show talks about their relationships and the ups and downs of that Mm -hmm. you have kind of a now absent parental figure and the mystery behind that and Mm -hmm. uncovering more like bad treatment from them and how that's affected the kids and you've got of course like the main one who's told they aren't powerful and the continuation of that as well as i think that great balance of like humor with seriousness with you know danger and supernaturally stuff all really balanced really well some great lgbtq plus stuff as well and yeah i so i thought i picked up on those comparisons so i was hoping that you were also um a fan and and liked that comparison and yeah people listening if you've you know if you like one you might like the other so yeah (laughs) yeah cool so what is it like to have a fan base uh, the majority of the time, uh, incredible. I have <laughs> been a fan of things my whole life. So uh, I think w- when I was a kid, one of my first fan obsessions, well, I didn't engage in fandom though, because I was just a tiny little dot, was Lord of the Rings, which if, you know, my name is Pippin, so this shouldn't mm-hmm. surprise anybody. Um, but yeah, no, I loved Lord <laughs> of the Rings as a kid and just, you know, I obsessed over it and wrote like kind of proto fanfic about it in all my little notebooks, you know, um, and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And grew up enthusiastically talking about stuff with my friends in real life and I didn't really engage with online stuff very much until I was like much older than most people start to engage with that kind of stuff so it wasn't until I was in uni just because of the the kind of friends I had they weren't very keen on their like the, the spaces where fandom thrives online uh, so it was only really where mm-hmm. I'd kind of like my my social bubble expanded when I moved out of my parents house and went to study at York that I got introduced mm-hmm. to the world of like fandom online and I was like wow this is incredible I can't believe this is a thing how have I not engaged with this before so fandom is a thing that I'm super enthusiastic about just in general and it was when it first started to happen which was actually around this time last year it was extremely bizarre like I just I, I can't so I've been recording this stuff I've been making these shows and I'm putting them online and sending them out into the world and I'd been imagining an audience right because you, you don't mm-hmm. make stuff and imagine no one will listen. You imagine that there's going to be someone on the other end who will listen to the thing. I remember the first week that Clockwork Bird went out, we got 24 people tuned in to the show. And I was so excited. 24 people. I was like, yeah. oh my goodness, that's 24 people. That's so cool. And I was I was thrilled. I was absolutely thrilled. It was the same with Spirit Box Radio. I think we had about 40 people in the first week of Spirit Box Radio. And I was like, oh, that's really exciting. Wow, 40 people. But they were imaginary people. And they were a thing that I had conceived of in my head. And mm-hmm. then someone made a TikTok cosplay of Sam. 
And I was just like, oh, wow. what? <laughs> You're a real person? And then people started making fan art and tagging me in it online. And I was seeing these mm -hmm. actual real human beings who loved this thing that I was making. And they started to come together quite naturally and speak to each other and find each other in the vastness of the internet to talk about this show that I had made. And I was like, goodness, you know this, you know I make it all up, <laughs> was what I was thinking at the time. <laughs> this all just, you know, this all just comes out of my brain. I, and it was just absolutely bonkers that, that, that it was happening because I've been on the other side of fandom my entire life. And Mm -hmm. to have that kind of transformative thing happen to your own work. I thought it was only, it felt like a privilege to me to see it happening. And then the then the first couple of fanfics were written and I don't read fanfic of the show, but those first couple of times like I did open the links when I saw them. Didn't read them because mm. of restraint, but I when I saw them there and I was just like this there's thousands of words. You've written thousands of words and it, yeah. it just that that's just it's so incredible to see people take a thing that you have made and make it their own that way and read things mm -hmm. into it that you couldn't have possibly put there that they have brought so much to the show themselves just by engaging with it and it's just you know it's like yeah I, I you know my fan base said they're they're wonderful I'm very lucky that they're all lovely and <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're just great people I interact with them quite a lot on discord though I've been kind of easing out of that trying to get a little bit of separation because it's just it's getting big now there's a lot of people there mm. there was a point at which where the discord was pretty small for a long time it was about 40 people and i knew everybody in there and we could have conversations yeah. with everybody involved and it's just it's getting to a little bit of a point now where that's more difficult and i couldn't possibly know everybody who's involved now mm. and that's and I, I weirdly my first impulse with that was to feel like i was failing everyone because I couldn't engage with oh, them as richly no. as I wanted to. But then I think it's just like mm. a natural part of, of what happens when a fan base grows is you, you kind of have to yeah. naturally distance yourself. But I never want to be like speaking from like a tower down to them mm. because I, I, I don't know, it just, it, it just feels, it feels icky to me. But I understand why people do it. Like I, I really do. But like I want to engage with them occasionally, crop up in their conversations. Mm. I, occasionally I will pop into a conversation and if it's all newbies they kind of scatter and go quiet for a little while and I feel a little bit bad <laughs> oh. and I was like it's okay don't worry come back I'm not scary <laughs> but yeah that, that's that's what it's like absolutely bonkers and a massive privilege every single day is what it's like that's uh, absolutely amazing really kind of uh reminds me a little bit of kind of listening to my favorite murder in terms of like how they started off as quite a smallish podcast and how you know when their community expanded that there's lessons that come with managing the expectations like fandom and mm. stuff like that which i'm sure is going to be all, uh, all yeah. ahead of you yeah um, mm. as as well so what i wanted to kind of like ask you about was you kind of explained a little bit about how you decided to, to start the podcast and uh things like that but why specifically audio for um, spirit box radio because you also write novels and things like that why specifically an audio drama for that story well spirit box radio is it's specifically written for audio so it couldn't yeah. exist in any other format there's something really intimate about an audio only format which i think is really mm. difficult to replicate in any other medium that really complements something like spirit box radio with the themes that are in there because the show is 
largely about this idea of Sam engaging with his audience and like what mm. happens around that is one of the main driving forces of the show overall. And so that format of the, the podcast format where you're, it's just you and a voice together and it's quite an intimate mm. experience and uh, it really complements the themes of the show. Audio offers something completely different to what a novel offers. There's pros and cons to both realms i've 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 uh, i i'd love to write for tv but it's a whole other thing probably and i have no idea how it works so i can't mm. really speak anything about visual mediums but in terms of novel versus writing for audio specifically mm -hmm. when you write a novel you have an opportunity to see properly into a character's thought processes you get moments of quiet and you can talk about looking so one thing that I really love to write in a novel is moments of anticipation. So like you're about to do something and it's those moments leading up to it. And in a novel, you can give a lot of space to that. Whereas in audio, yeah. you don't have access to any of that. What that sounds like in audio is nothing. That sounds like silence. <sighs> so you lose out on that insight, that unique insight and that proper opportunity to look into a character's head that you get in a novel is not there in audio but what audio can do that novels can't do is it can provide incidental storytelling in a way that's really difficult to do in a novel mm. where you can use sound design to tell the audience something without them necessarily knowing that you've told them yeah. and so how you build those things in and how you use sound design to sculpt messages adds this whole other layer of storytelling and obviously the performance aspect of it adds further layers every time I introduce a new voice actor to the cast it opens up this whole other realm of layers essentially because they bring their interpretation mm -hmm. of the character which is going to be necessarily different from the interpretation of the character that I have when I write them because for me when I write them they are a supporting character in a larger show but for them it's their character right, who they are playing yeah. they fully realize them in a way that my writing doesn't call for so i just mm. don't necessarily do so they can bring these fabulous layers and this richness and this sense of being lived in to a character that you wouldn't necessarily get because it's not like strictly necessary but it's all just there mm. in the performance not in any of the words i've written but in what the actors bring to the show and that's another avenue that opens up so spirit box radio because it has this kind of growing cast it starts off with just six people in it by part two there's 15 i think 15 characters 14 people and then by part two of season two the cast will have expanded to more than 20 people oh, Alex, we're getting onto a large size cast now at this point so it really works in an audio format in a way that I think it wouldn't necessarily in any other format, if that makes sense. It does, yes, yeah. It does. And it's really interesting. And like you say, that's something that's even different from, you know, a narrator reading a novel, because like you say, they might then also see these supporting characters as supporting characters, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but that having an individual person that's really explored that one extra depth and levels as you say that's a really interesting point to think about i also it brought on quite nicely to asking you about sound design and stuff because we've both said this in our review we think it's fantastic in spirit box radio it's really really amazing and um, how did you sort of come to yeah learn slash teach yourself how to how to do that uh by making a lot of mistakes um yeah <laughs> so with 
Clockwork Bird, it was just recording two people around the same microphone, essentially. So yeah. all it just inherits the sound of the space that you're in. And there was really minimal mm. sculpting around that. So like in Clockwork Bird, there's some scenes where there's a character who's on a ventilator who is in the background and you can hear that and it underpins the whole, yeah. like, like, a, like a rhythm that adds to the scene, which is just kind of really eerie because that character never speaks. Mm. So that's, yeah, that's that's something that I played with in Clockwork Bird. But really the idea of soundscaping and sound design was not something that I'd thought about at all beforehand because you just you just kind of don't. I treated it very much like theatre in Clockwork Bird. Yeah. When we came up to mm-hmm. recording Spirit Box Radio, I knew because I wanted to have this kind of expanding cast, the cast that grows and grows as we go through. And that's kind of necessary for the story for that to happen. Mm. And that it was going to start off with just me. I knew from recording Clockwork Bird that a theatre style recording was not something that was going to work. And I knew that I needed to approach it differently because I was going to have like distance recordings, but for characters that were going to be Mm -hmm. in the same scene and how you do all of that, how you piece all of that together. So that necessarily introduces the idea of you have to build the space that these characters are speaking in, which means that extra steps had to be taken to make sure that the sound in all the spaces everyone records in is is as dead as possible. Mm -hmm. So that the idea is that everything that's there is intentionally placed there. So yeah, that's all of those different things. So initially everybody's kind of like quite static there's not a lot of movement in those first few episodes because I hadn't really figured that out and it's not really until the end of season one where I start to kind of play around with how movement works Mm. but I'm really getting into the swing of that now and it's very fun (laughs) but um yeah it's kind of out of necessity because it's really jarring actually it's really strange to think about actually there's kind of an uncanny valley that occurs when you have characters that are just speaking in these kind of flat environments and they were all speaking directly yeah. into the mic all the time it's, it's, it's really strange it's kind of jarring and yeah uncanny as I say and this kind of necessarily means that you have to build these sound environments so yeah it kind of snowballs so it gets away from you really really fast and before you know it you're crafting these episodes with 16 tracks on it every week with all these mm. different layers of stuff going in there uh, that's kind of how it happened yeah that's really cool and sort of so like for the different sound effects as well like you know things that happen in the background like you say some of that affecting the plot and things how do you go about that do you sort of mark up the script from the start does it happen more in that editing phase is it a mix of both how's that go in the beginning it was very much like i didn't think about sound design in the writing Mm -hmm. process really at all apart from moments where it was extremely necessary to have the sound design present um so there's some things like i don't know how much of the show you've listened to but oh i'm up to date oh are you up to date (laughs) Goodness me. Wow. Okay. So, you know, these, the, the reverberation that happens under Sam's voice when the magic-y things happen, that sort mm-hmm. of like hum, that hum, that's written mm-hmm. in the scripts from the beginning because that's a necessary cool. part of stuff. And it's like there from the inception of like, as I'm writing with it. So it needs to be there. So I'll make a note that that has to go there. And mm-hmm. it was only after the first few episodes had been produced and I'd kind of like done the sound design later and kind of enriched it so then another thing that i do for spirit box radio is i write all of the transcripts and the transcripts are adapted yeah. from the original scripts and i try mm-hmm. to write the transcripts to be an immersive reading experience so mm-hmm. people who can't listen can still experience the full yeah. weight of the show so in describing the sounds that i used in the sound design i kind of provide myself with a toolkit for how to guide the sound mm. design in the writing process first off the bat and I find as I'm getting more confident at sound design, 
because in the beginning I just wasn't at all very confident mm. I, I, but I'm finding that the more confident I grow and the more the more ambitious I get and in that ambition <laughs> the more I plan to do it in those early stages so I, I find now as I'm writing scripts sometimes the sound design is the first thing that I lay down so we're recording this on the 16th of February so the episode of Spirit Box Radio that comes out tomorrow is episode 12 and that actually has a scene in it which was written around the sound design for the scene wow and that's, okay, that's like cool. yeah and you'll probably know it when you hear it um <laughs> <laughs> i'll be listening for it now yeah it's it's pretty obvious which bit it is but like mm-hmm. that whole thing the idea for that moment all was in the sound design and kind of the words that are said in those moments are almost secondary to the sound of everything that's happening and that's really fun it's one of those scenes in the first season as well like the impossible house has a lot of those creaky sounds and stuff in the background but like there's a scene mm. where uh sam runs up the stairs and you can hear the paper flying around the room and that's one of the first instances where in the initial writing process of that episode I'd sat down and it was the sound design that was the focus of the writing session rather than the actual words being said and that's one of the earlier examples of that happening where I'm properly planning every detail but it happens more and more now. Oh that's really fascinating and also kind of cool that how yeah the fact that if you write for audio specifically you end up having those ideas that you you wouldn't necessarily have if you weren't considering it and it reminded me so a previous episode that we did um was reviewing weird gods by uh, Susanna Imaginario and she'd actually sent us a really lovely email afterwards um after our episode had gone out and she'd mentioned in there that she you know, loves Sarah Kempton's narration of her books and writes now with that in mind, with mm. the audiobook in mind, which I think is unfortunately quite rare. But it is it's really good when writers consider how that's going to work in audio. And then, yeah, in this instance specifically, the fact that some ways the audio guides your writing is really fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Um, so as someone who writes myself, what is your writing kind of process like? What kind of script format do you use? When do you write? How do you write? Kind of those sorts of questions. <laughs> right. Um, so as a preface to this, I have ADHD, which kind of informs how my approach to the writing works. And yeah, mm. as a caveat, what I do is not necessarily replicable or advisable. So <laughs> I tend to, I write a lot at once. So if I'm writing, I'm going to sit down and I will probably write between five and 10K in one go over a sort of a four to five hour session and that just happens when it happens I can like make it happen if I need to but that's normally what I'm doing um the editing process is different where I have to kind of take it in chunks because it's something I find quite tedious so mm. I have to do like pomodoros for that where I'll work for 25 minutes and take a five minute break and eat some smarties and then come back to it and do another mm. 25 minutes but uh, with writing itself I write 10 I tend to write in big blocks so when I first started writing novels which way back when I was, I remember I, I wrote the first novel in three months from beginning to end in the sense of gripped by panic because it felt to me like if I didn't write it all now, it would never be written. <laughs> um, which, yeah, it's like an appar- apparently that's quite common for people, neurodivergent people to not really understand like space in time and like temporal locations, which is kind of what was happening with me, which I realized now, but I didn't at the time. And that, was how I wrote a lot in the beginning, but long form was with this kind of sense of panic that, oh my gosh, it has to be done right now. If I, if I don't do it right now, it will never be done. Ah. And so I would just write really, really, really fast, these huge chunks. But it means that I'm, the volume of what I write is really, really high. 
of those five to 10,000 words, I'd say about six, you know, three to 6,000 will stay. Um, mm. Once I went to go back and look at it, I delete a lot. I'm a kill your darlings advocate. Yeah. I just cut everything out. And my thing is like, can this be 10% shorter? So everything, you know, I write, mm. I will then make it 10% shorter almost it, it, I, almost as a rule I do that but I'm like this could be more expediently done this could be done with more brevity these words are not necessarily you know part of you, you could tell this more efficiently essentially mm. and I have a lot of rules about what things are allowed to stay and what things get cut so a lot of the process of like the shape of the story actually comes after I've written this you know in these huge panicked sessions mm. <laughs> um I'll come back to it and then I apply this kind of rule set. So every moment, every story beat, I guess, has to be doing at least three things for the story. So it, the, the list of what things it can be doing is quite long. So I won't get into that. And it's not like a strict list or anything, but yeah. I, you know, it has to serve at least three functions. And if it doesn't, it goes, it, it doesn't stay, it gets cut. It has to, because otherwise everything I wrote would be 700,000 words long. Um, <laughs> and, and that's just no good. That's totally. <laughs> totally inaccessible as a as a format so yeah <laughs> and kind of just following on from that kind of how long does it typically take for an episode to be made from kind of like once you've got the finished script kind of how long does it take you for you from having that working document to kind of actually produce an episode uh so i've actually recently stopped timing how long it takes me to make episodes so i can't be 100 percent sure of these numbers but it used to be that for every minute of audio you hear it's about two hours of work not counting scripts so from like you know recording rehearsing and then down to editing mm. it's about two hours per minute of audio and every episode is you know between like 16 to 25 minutes long on average mm. so that's you know a lot a lot of time goes into all of that yeah. i'll be coming up soon not that same, but in a, in a, I forget what threshold this is, but either the one I just passed, which is 80 episodes of audio drama, or the one that's coming up, which is 100 episodes. Um, it's 33 <laughs> hours of content, roughly, that I've made. And like, so if you split that down into minutes and then add the hours, it's a, it's, it's a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> it's laborious to do it, you know, and a lot of it is quite tedious work as well, of like isolating audio minimizing mm. background sounds improving the quality of stuff because you have this huge range of incredible voice actors recording in all these different setups who have different levels of extraneous background noise that requires different treatment so each track comes in has to be dialogue edited you have to cut a conversation together so that it sounds natural you have to cut out unnecessary breaths and leave in ones that sound interesting and nice and are part of the performance and you have to learn how to distinguish between those two things which is a whole other thing and then there's the process of sound design which goes into it and um, the other thing that spirit box radio has of course is the music which takes its own amount of time as well in addition to all of that they're labor intensive to produce audio drama episodes but they're very fun so <laughs> Well, good. It's good that you're enjoying it, though. Yeah. And as a listener, I can say that I definitely appreciate the work that you put in because it's fab. Really good. Thank you. So I appreciate the fact that we're coming up on to an hour now. Have you got any other questions you'd like to um, ask, Poppy? Because I've, I've got a couple left on my one, but yeah, you can go first. Um, I guess I there was one little thing about what you were saying before, actually, in 
the audiobooks that you enjoyed listening to and mm. that was talking about like the power of language and how that works. I, I thought that was really interesting because A, I'm really interested in that in uh, language and linguistics and how that works. Um, and also I know that it's a very strong theme, obviously, in Spirit Books Radio. So I guess it was more of a comment than a question, but I like that that's one of the themes that you have in um in Spirit Box Radio and yeah it's clear that that's something that you find interesting in what you listen to slash read and stuff as well yeah thank you yeah that's cool <laughs> I'm glad it comes through yeah rhetoric definitely uh, yeah the, the the power of rhetoric the power of language and communication mm. as combined efforts that those things are really important to the things I write and especially Spirit Box Radio yeah yeah so um just going back to one of your previous answers you mentioned mm. kind of like other audio uh, dramas that you you were listening to and that kind of uh, inspired you to um, create your own audio dramas. Could you just talk a little bit about some of your favourite ones that kind of particularly influenced you to just go on and create your own stuff? Uh, okay. Um, I have a huge list of people whose work I really admire now, which I won't get into because yeah. it's incredibly long <laughs> and there are so many people that I would I would need to mention here. But in terms of the stuff that I'd listened to that made me want to create, my own audio drama I, I would say Limetown The White Vault The Magnus Archives and Welcome to Night Vale are really the, the the shows that made me want to make a show and it's all like different reasons why each one of those was a, a huge driver mm-hmm. for that so Welcome to Night Vale I'd listened to on and off for years but it wasn't until the pandemic that I actually sat down and listened to the whole thing and it, you know the power of a fake radio format really cool I love that and then there's the White Vault, which has some incredible sound design. I just live in awe of it. Um, uh, some of the sound design is done by someone called Marissa Ewig Moody. And a lot of it's done by Travis Vengroff, who is one of the founders of the show. It's all written by K.A. Stats is the writer. Uh, and just as a, like the whole team, everybody who works on it, even the people whose names I can't remember, uh, they're fantastic. And just it all comes together, this beautiful confluence of stuff. The writing's fabulous. The sound design is just some of the best sound design, like around. I just absolutely stunning. Um, and Limetown is a sort of found footage type audio drama, if that makes sense. Uh, so it kind of passes itself off as a fake true crime documentary in the beginning, which is really interesting as a format. And again, it's just like it really understands what an audio drama can do and really understands what's available to it in terms of the tools that are at hand and there's so much to be learned from shows that really do these things well and properly understand the format and the and like where it can get the most out of the format that exists in and Limetown is a really excellent example of that and then there's the Magnus Archives which is notable for a few reasons the massive scope of it is really interesting it has this sort of anthology format which kind of then becomes more about the framing device than about the actual stories in the center it kind of grows out of there and it has this really like i'll I'll say lively fan base has the magnus archives um which was really interesting to see the ways in which a fandom deals with just an audio only piece of content which was really interesting obviously that existed for welcome to night vale but i wasn't really around as i said when that was at its peak and yeah so watching the fandom live basically you know, taking this audio stuff and turning it into this other stuff was really interesting to me. And I was like, oh, that's, that's you know, amazing. And it's amazing because of how they started recording in a hallway 
I think, the Magnus Archives team. So that's that's where their first episodes were recorded, just in a hallway with duvets on the wall. And then, yeah, to, to be able to do what they did and approach the scope that they get to, and just like the massive size of the thing. It's very impressive for where they where they start out. And it just felt like, you know, it made it feel like this is a much more approachable space than I had initially been thinking. I think that's the amazing thing about podcasting and audio dramas and like it is like the, the you know the technology and the technological solutions are out there for anyone to just give it a go and it's really admirable I think both myself and Poppy kind of really admire kind of the amount of creativity and work and effort that you've put into creating this I write myself uh I say I write myself I talk more about writing than I actually do writing <laughs> but um it is it's it's hard it's hard work to just you know put you know pen to paper and write a character let alone putting in mm-hmm. you know the extra work in terms of sound designing editing and then actually putting together you know a group of actors um to to, to create a podcast so like, really generally it's a little bit inspirational to me that you've kind of been able to achieve what you've done so far, which kind of leads to my closing questions. I ask every guest that we interview on this pod. Um, so what does success for you and for the podcast look like? Um, that's really hard to say. I think for me, success is like reaching more people and seeing them meaningfully engage with the work. That's what success is to me. Like seeing, having an audience that meaningfully engages with the content and comes away with it and thinks about it afterwards. Um, that's what success is, I think. Oh, well, good. I can definitely promise you've got two listeners um, for doing that at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and the two new ones. Yeah. And the, I think the final uh, three questions I've got are. What's next? Um, have you got anything else to plug and where can people find you on the internet? Uh, what's next? Uh, watch this space. There's a few things that will be coming up soon, uh, which I'm not going to talk about here <laughs> because it's all like kind of under wraps. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, future lost, things. Tell us, tell us, tell us. I, I'm <laughs> extremely good at keeping things back from people. Half of my cast have no idea what the show is doing like next season, let alone in the end. So. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah i'm sorry i'm so sorry um and what uh, were the other questions um so have you got anything else to plug i have not just listen to spirit box radio tune in and get spooky with us it's a fun time uh clockwork <laughs> bird is also around it's a lot rougher around the edges than spirit box radio but it's yeah if you like uh existential sci-fi horror and can deal with their uh, feeling a little bit miserable <laughs> it's a bit yeah um clockwork bird is out there and i'm very proud of it even for its rough edges and you can find me on twitter at pippin era if you want to hear me talk about cats if you want to hear me talking about shows and engaging with stuff you can find me at hanging sauce on twitter and you can find more info about all of the shows that i make and all of the stuff that i do and more about the amazing cast on hanging sauce that's great. Thank you very much. Um, it does actually one one last one one last question. Why hanging sloths? <laughs> oh right, okay. Uh, so, um, it's really dumb. Um, so <laughs> I many many months before Hanging Sloth Studios existed, I went to the zoo, Chester Zoo. And oh, I love I, Chester Zoo. Yeah, it's great. 
And uh, they've, they've, they've got sloths now and they haven't had sloths before. And I went to the sloth enclosure. I was really excited and I didn't see the sloth for ages. I was like, I really want to see this sloth. And then I went, I gave up on spotting the sloth and I went outside and they've got these like, kind of portals with ropes coming through them. And the sloth kind of really slowly came out of the portal just as I was looking back at the building. And I was like, oh my God, it's the sloth. I was really excited. Mm. So I got home from my trip at Chester Zoo and um, my friend was asking me, so uh, how was the zoo and uh, what was going on? Did you manage to see all the things that you wanted to see? And I was like, yes. And then uh, I told the story of the sloth as I witnessed it. And, then, and, I, said, and I turned around and there was a hanging sloth. And my friend went, mm. it hung itself. <laughs> and I went, no, oh, no, no. It was a hanging sloth. It was hanging from a rope with its hands like sloths do. It was not hanged. Yeah. It had not been hanged. It was a hanging sloth. <laughs> and um, we laughed about it for a really long time. And then they said, like, oh, God, that sounds like a, the name of a really weird production company. And at the time, we had been sort of jokingly making up these, like, ridiculous side projects uh, that are for stuff mm-hmm. that just you know it would never happen a fake making of documentary for a low budget horror film called Velamaraptor which was nice. a llama crossed with a velociraptor if you're wondering <laughs> and uh, yeah and then I just jokingly started saying at the end of all of those uh, produced by Hanging Sloth Studios a Hanging Sloth Studios production like that so when I came to actually making audio dramas I was like this would be really funny if I yeah. made Hanging Sloth Studios a real thing. So that's why Hanging Sloth Studios. <laughs> okay, that's, I love uh, it. that's a great uh, origin story. Uh, Poppy, any final comments? Uh, no, because if I start on one more, we'll just be talking for ages. Yes. Um, but thank you so, so much, Pippin, uh, for joining us. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for creating Spirit Books Radio. As you can tell, I'm a bit of a fan. <laughs> um, and yeah, just this has been really wonderful and chatted about some really interesting stuff learned some interesting stuff it's been fantastic so thank you so much yeah so again Pippin, thank you for taking time out of your your busy day and your busy week to talk to us about your podcast it really is appreciated so thank you guys uh, if you've got any comments or suggestions you can contact us on social media at at audiobookish pod uh, that's the same handle across all our social media channels and you can email us at audiobookishpod at gmail.com please donate to the tip jar if you can and like and comment review and subscribe um, wherever you're finding this podcast to listen to thanks guys and let's say bye bye bye, bye. bye.